Our scripture reading today is from Acts 7, verses 54 through 60. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Ruth, for reading that so beautifully. If you all will just indulge me a minute, put your hand over your face if you don't want to be in this picture. Okay. Posterity has to happen. Well... It's an amazing moment hearing you sing. I'm really looking forward to the doxology at the end of the service, this a cappella moment. When we do that, sing, but also listen to what's happening. I, I, it may sound corny, but it feels to me like, like the songs that we sing in this place kind of absorb into the walls and become part of the spirit of this place. That may be, sound like heresy to you, and I don't mean it in a superstitious way, but... but just like a musical instrument kind of conditions as it's played. This place is going to get our fingerprints all over the walls and the glass, and it's going to get our little nicks and scrapes. And, you know, it's funny, I was, as people were, as you all were coming in, one of the thoughts occurred to me, nobody has a spot yet. You know how everybody kind of sits in their own spot and, and you kind of give people the side eye if a newcomer shows up and they're in your seat? It's just, it's just the Wild West right now. Like, nobody has... Nobody has a spot, which is great. But this is an amazing moment uh, to be standing on this platform in this new church home. Uh, so much. I, I, you can maybe imagine, but so many details went into making this place what it is. Um, and, and so many things have gone on, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday, as Melanie said, and I really do hope that you all can make it out for that special time next Sunday evening as we dedicate this church and this facility to the Lord. So the question is, how, how are we going to kick things off today? You know, how are we going to kick off? What am I going to talk about here in this first sermon in this beautiful new home? And the answer is, I'm going to talk about death. And it's important why I'm going to talk about death. And that is because we are a church that preaches through Scripture. It's a mainstay of Christ's prayers. If this is your first time with us, if you're visiting us for the first time, first I want to say we're really glad that you're here. Uh, but we're people of the book, and we preach through Scripture. And this fall, we have been working our way through a sermon series on the book of Acts. And today's passage 
that was chosen months ago is about the death of Stephen, one of the early deacons and the first Christian martyr. And so, friends, that is our text. And so that's what we will be talking about today. And I've chosen to stick with it um, as a reminder to myself and as a reminder to all of us that what makes us a church is our bond in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will be people of the book first. But it's also a very fitting passage, I think, uh, because it focuses on the reality that there is more to our existence than we can see before us. There is life beyond the season that we are in. And in the gospel, we're promised a greater security than we can find in the things of this world. We have a hope that assures us that one day all shall be well. And so this passage reminds us of that. It reminds us that Christ is very present with us, even now. And so, let's get into it. Let's get into the stoning death of Stephen. So, this passage tells the end of the life of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. What happened in the chapters leading up to this is Stephen was charged by the chief priests with blasphemy, for preaching Christ. And when the chief priest, the high priest, asked Stephen if he was guilty of speaking against the law of Moses and declaring the destruction of the temple, Stephen rose and gave a sermon. And it was a fiery sermon. And he spoke of the history God's own people had of rejecting God's word and of their history of making idols out of things that God had given them to show them their need for him. And he concludes his sermon with these words, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And today's text tells us what happened next. And it's in this context that we're going to talk about dying. We're going to talk about dying well. Context helps us understand the importance of a passage. So, for example, when we read this text, if we just read it by, by itself, alone in isolation, we'd get to a part where we would see that at the time Stephen died, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. And it would be easy for us to imagine at that moment that what was happening for Stephen was some kind of a second blessing, right? It was, it was something was sweeping over Stephen in the moment that was giving him then the strength to endure what he could not have endured otherwise. But guess what? In the context of the book of Acts, when Stephen is mentioned, every time, it tells us he was full of the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 6, verse 5, and also verses 8 through 10, whenever Stephen is mentioned, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. So what that's telling us, context is telling us, this is why it's important to be people of the book, why it's important for us to read is to understand the context. It tells us that Stephen, who died a spirit-filled death, also lived a spirit-filled life. So having already been filled with the Holy Spirit, he died according to how he also lived. And that was as somebody who was captured by and bound to the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And these are the promises that guide us as a church. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the promise for every Christian. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, tells us that we are strengthened with power, we are strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We're strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, inside of us, in order that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And so we're given the spirit so that Christ would dwell in us. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ lives in you. And so what is he doing as he lives in us? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, verses 25 and 26, says what he's doing is he is putting his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. So death is swallowed up in victory for the Christian, but not just death, every enemy at war against the people of God. And so when we look at the death of somebody like Stephen, we learn not just how to die in the spirit, but we also see how to live in the spirit as we face the trials which precede death. This text raises a question. And the question, it's kind of a would you or wouldn't you question, right? And that is, if you were in Stephen's shoes, how would you respond? If if you were facing death as Stephen did, how would you respond? Maybe you've wondered if if you would have the same courage to die well. Maybe you are certain that you would fail miserably in that moment. Maybe even deny Christ. And to that, let me say to you, if you are a Christian, don't be so sure. How can I say that? Because Stephen didn't collapse in on himself. Because Stephen didn't deny Christ. That's why. You'd be like, yeah, but he's Stephen. He was one of the first deacons of the early church. Listen, context, right? The only reason Stephen didn't collapse in on himself is because of what scripture tells us every time his name is mentioned, and that is that he was full of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, don't underestimate what that will bring out of you. The Spirit brings the victory of Christ to the follower of Christ. Truth is, you don't know how you'd respond. But I will say this, a lot of our doubt in wondering, would I, would I live up to that moment? A lot of that doubt, I think, springs from an underlying belief that the presence of Christ in us either isn't real or isn't strong enough to overcome our weaknesses. If you're a Christian, do you believe that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Do you believe Christ is at work in your life? Because what Scripture tells us is that both are the case. Both of these things are true.
Listen, if you're a Christian, do not underestimate the power and the presence of Christ at work in your life by acting as if in the face of trial you stand alone because you do not stand alone. When we believe in the power and the presence of Christ in our lives, we can live like the gospel is true, like Jesus is alive, which he is, and like heaven is a real place, like the presence of God is a real thing, eternally. In the context of Stephen's life, not just his death, but in the context of his life, we see a great picture of this. The first thing we see is that he, he, as a deacon, he served the poor and he served widows in the church, which means a couple of things. It means that he served in low-profile ministry, in which the people he served were not in a position to give him glory that could give him thanks, but not glory. Second, what we know about Stephen is he knew his Bible well. It's in his sermon. He has a thorough knowledge. He proved it powerfully in his address to the council who then killed him. He had a masterful knowledge and also a comprehension of Scripture. And his knowledge reflects a disciplined study life of being in the word, which is a value of ours as a church, right? That we would be spending time with Jesus every day. But his comprehension of scripture, that's a work of God. His comprehension reflects the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in him. And the third thing we we know about Stephen is that he was close to Jesus. He was a man of prayer. And we know this because at the moment of his death, he not only saw but he recognized and delighted in seeing his Savior. And this tells us that he was a man of prayer. What these qualities tell us about Stephen's life is that while we can't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we we can resist the Holy Spirit, and we can also embrace the work of the Spirit in our lives. And what we see in Stephen's death is a picture of embracing the Spirit's work in his life. But even more, we see proof of the power of Christ to defeat what was meant to be a moment of destruction. And for those who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, I want to name three of these proofs that we see of the power of God at work in our weakness, his Spirit working through us. And these three things are these. In the face of death, there's a glimpse of heaven. In the place of death, there's fellowship with Jesus Christ. And in the moment of death, there's the character of Christ on display. So what we have here is a good old-fashioned three-pointer, right? In the face of death, there's the glimpse of heaven. As the council gnashes their teeth and runs at Stephen to beat the life out of him. He sees the heavens open and the glory of God shining down. As Christ is defeating the last enemy in Stephen's life, we see that victory in the fact that the threat of death itself, which is that it will take away from us everything that we hold dear, right? That threat is silenced by a vision of heaven presented as the inheritance of the children of God, whereby we are finally home. 
In the face of death, there's a glimpse of heaven. In the place of death, there's fellowship with Christ. Our text also says in verses 55 and 56 that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is an amazing detail. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know I geek out over detail in Scripture because Scripture is written in thrift. There's not a lot of verbal flourish in Scripture. So details that are there are by design and they're important and it's part of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at work in the Word. And it tells us that that Stephen saw Christ standing at the right hand of God. Why is that detail so amazing? It's because the book of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that detail is important because under the sacrificial system for priests, there were no chairs in the temple. And the reason there were no chairs in the temple was because their work was never done. There was a river of blood flowing out of that place because there was no sacrifice that was sufficient forever. By sitting down at the right hand of God, Jesus indicated that there were no more sacrifices to be made. His death was the perfect, lasting sacrifice once and for all. So why then does Stephen see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? He stands to receive his first martyr. Hear me. There is no fluctuation between how Jesus receives one of his beloved over another. He stands in that physical place of Stephen's death which could have been one of hopelessness and despair, Stephen encounters his Lord. And in the moment of death, there's the character of Christ on display. This is what we were talking about earlier, the Holy Spirit manifesting through Stephen, which could be any of us. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he imitated Christ. As Jesus was dying, he cried out to God, Into your hands I commend my spirit, Luke 23, 46. As Stephen was dying, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He imitates him. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He knows his Lord. The Spirit's work in our lives is to make us like Christ. That's why the Spirit lives in us, is to make us more and more like Jesus. The victory of Christ over death is that this moment of dying did not draw from Stephen hopelessness or despair. It drew out of him Christ-likeness. And I would wager you've seen this before. You've seen a believer with a terminal illness, walk with a kind of grace and courage to the grave that is inexplicable, haven't you? You've seen people where something wells up inside of them and you wonder, how are they able 
to be so brave in the face of so much seeming catastrophe. Maybe you've been one of those people who have walked a difficult road and the threat of death just looming and you just look at yourselves and you think somehow the Lord sustained us in ways that we can't explain. Here's your explanation. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. And he defeats all the enemies working against the purposes of God, including death itself. I mean, what a hope. What a hope that we have to see the Holy Spirit working in Stephen's life in such a way that in his darkest moment of trial, his death, the evidence of Christ's victory over sin and death is shining bright like the sun. How can we know, okay, so we may say, all right, okay, so maybe I'll rise to the occasion in death. But the living, that's the hard part, right? It's how do I live well? You ever feel like that? You need more help with the living than the dying? Jesus really did defeat death for Stephen. In that moment of death, Christ was there. But, but what about the living? How can we know that Christ is working even now to defeat the enemies at work in our lives? How can we know that he's even able to work in our lives when we're so often guilty of the sin of exceptionalism, you know, which is that sin of believing that my struggles are too deep or more complex than your struggles, uh, that you wouldn't understand. It's complicated, that they're, they're more complex. They're just exceptional, even for God. And I would appeal again to the context. If you're tempted to kind of lean that way and to say, I know God can deal mercifully and powerfully and graciously with others, but my situation's a little unique. Listen, context. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he uses this story to introduce us to somebody. Somebody who would become a central figure in the rest of the book of Acts. He's a young, zealous persecutor of the church named Saul. Saul oversaw Stephen's stoning. And then he later sought permission to become a traveling persecutor of the church, to go far and wide to find Christians and have them either killed or arrested because he hated the church that much and he worked to destroy it. And yet in Saul, we see the power of God at work in the living. Earlier in this message, I quoted Ephesians chapter 3. And I quoted 1 Corinthians 15 as proof texts for understanding how to view the work of Christ both in death and in life. Those letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, came from the pen of Saul. He would convert to this faith that he had worked so hard to destroy the enemy becomes the servant of Christ. That's the power of Christ at work. God does not take hold of a person just so that they might die well. Because death is not the point. Death is an enemy. Living is the point. 
in Stephen and in Paul, we see the power of Christ at work in the life of the believer, the evidence of the Holy Spirit there. You're called to serve people. We're called, all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to serve. We're called to study and know the word of God and apply it. We're called to pray and seek Christ. But beloved, you're also called to presume upon the Lord that his Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that he keeps his promises. And he promises his Holy Spirit will dwell in his people. So if you are in Christ, his Holy Spirit dwells in you right now, right now. Live in the Spirit, humbly asking the Lord to open for you glimpses of heaven that your soul would see now, that it would draw from you in times of trial, Christ-likeness. And may you long for the day when you see Christ standing to receive you. But until then, may we all live like the gospel is true, like Jesus is alive, and that heaven is a real place, the presence of God for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this part of your word, this text that we've read today and looked at. Thank you that your word is so full of hope that the scriptures we bind ourselves to as a church, as believers, are not like a millstone around our neck filled with the burden of having to obey perfectly in order to obtain your favor, but that instead on every page what we see is the offer of mercy and grace in the face of our hopelessness and our stubbornness and our stiff-necked attitudes and our, our fear and the things that paralyze us, that you prevail over those things. Lord, would you help us to believe that if our faith is in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and that there is nothing that we face alone, nothing. We're grateful for your mercy and your kindness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.